Peace be upon you. So back in March, I read this article entitled America's Invisible Mountains. And the author starts the article with the story about a friend he had that used to belong to a cult. And the cult had this ideology that its members were immortal and would not die. Then naturally, one of their members died. And now the cult was in quite the bind. In one hand, they had their ideology, their belief system. Their belief system said that the cult members were immortal and should not die. On the other hand, they had hard reality, the dead corpse of their former member. And they really struggled to reconcile these two thoughts. One day, the individual was waiting in line in a bathroom at a convenience store. And a book caught his eye. And the book was describing insanity. And the article reads, it says, If you are exploring and find a mountain... You would draw the mountain on your map. That is the right way to interpret your surroundings. However, if you have a map with a mountain and you're where the mountain should be, but there is no mountain, then perhaps the map is a bad judge of reality. Someone who lost their hold of reality might try to come up with ways in which the mountain is there, despite what the map says. One might go so far as to say, well, maybe the mountain is invisible. This might sound absurd, but my friends spent time in a cult that had convinced themselves that they could not die. My friend read the book, and it reminded him of the way they all tried to explain the death in the cult. The death was an invisible mountain. The death was not on the map through which the cult traveled the land. The map said there would be no death. Yet there was a death, and now he and the rest of the cult try to find a way to explain away the death so as not to upset their loyalty to the map that the cult had placed over their reality. And it reads, it says, he left the cult soon after realizing that his cult member's death was his own invisible mountain. I thought this story depicts a very important life lesson that we all have to face. Each of us has a map that we choose to follow that is our guide to reality. At some point, we will be faced with an unfortunate event where our map of reality will be at odds with actual reality. Then we need to make a choice. Will we abandon our old map for something better? Or will we continue using our faulty, inaccurate map for the sake of our pride and loyalty? And we have an awesome example of this in the Quran in the history of Abraham, when he debated his people. In Surah 21, starting from verse 51, it says, Before that, we granted Abraham his guidance and understanding, for we were fully aware of him. He said to his father and his people, What are these statues to which you are devoting yourselves? They said, We found our parents worshipping them. He said, Indeed, you and your parents have gone totally astray. They said, Are you telling us the truth or are you playing? He said, your only Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth who created them. This is the testimony to which I bear witness. I swear by God, I have a plan to deal with your statues as soon as you leave. He broke them into pieces, except for a big one, that they may refer to it. They said, whoever did this to our gods is really a transgressor. They said, we heard a youth threaten them. He is called Abraham. They said, bring him before the eyes of all the people that they may bear witness. They said, Did you do this to our gods, O Abraham? He said, It is the big one who did it. 
Go ask them if they can speak. And here's the part says, they were taken aback and said to themselves, indeed, you are the ones who have been transgressing. Yet, they reverted to their old ideas. You know full well that these cannot speak. He said, do you then worship beside God what possesses no power to benefit you or harm you? You have incurred shame by worshiping idols beside God. Do you not understand? In this awesome example, right, we have Abraham seeing reality for what it is. These people are worshiping statues. He wants to teach them a lesson. So what does he do? He goes, he destroys all the statues except for the big one. And when they ask who did this to him, he refers to who? The big one. And it's at that moment they realize what they're worshiping are idols that they carved with their own hands. They have no power. They can't harm, benefit. They can't even defend themselves. They can't even speak. And they had this choice. This dissonance caused them to have a choice. Are they going to reassess the map, their ideology, or are they going to revert back to being these cogs in a machine following blindly something that they know does not match reality? And their decision was made. That at that point, when they hit that juncture, they decided to continue down the path of disbelief. Every soul in this world attempts to find a map that they can use to help navigate through life. An ideal map will be the map that is best aligned with reality of how this world works, how it operates, and how one should orient themselves such that one can maximize the possibility of success both in this world and in the hereafter. If a map is inconsistent with the truth, it will lead people astray. So the more falsehood there is in a map, the more likely it is that the map will not guide them, but actually misguide the person from reality. Luckily for the believers, God has given the perfect map for this journey, and that's of the Quran. Ironically, when disputes arose regarding the orientation of this perfect map, individuals created secondary maps one that were never authorized by God and created by imperfect men. And these secondary maps are that of the Hadith. Then these people had the audacity to start thinking that it was the Hadith that was needed to understand and orient the Quran. They claimed that without the Hadith, the Quran is insufficient to guide. Except how does one use a less accurate measure to calibrate a perfectly tuned piece of machinery? For example, imagine you had a scale that you attempted to calibrate using a less accurate weight. Rather than calibrating the machinery, you will only destroy its very function and produce a less accurate means of measurement. The same goes for the Hadith and the Quran. The Quran is perfect. It is the divine words of God dictated to God's prophet and disseminated for the people and preserved for 1400 years. But the Hadith is inconsistent. It was compiled hundreds of years after the revelation of the Quran, again by people who did not have the authority, were not commissioned by God to do such things. If a person attempts to use the Hadith to understand the Quran, it will only increase them in confusion and lead them to stray from the truth. We have this verse in the Quran in Surah 39 verse 29. It gives us this example. It says, God cites the example of a man who deals with disputing partners. This is what Hadith constitutes as compared to a man who deals with one consistent source. The Quran is this consistent source. Are they the same? Praise be to God. Most of them do not know. Usually when you present these arguments to someone who is wholeheartedly committed to Hadith, 
you know, they make these these claims that the Hadith is consistent, it doesn't contradict the Quran, and I just want to show a very clear and visible mountain inside the Hadith. The Hadith literature is very clear that according to the most authentic sources, it claims that the Prophet Muhammad thought that the end of the world was going to happen within the next few generations, if not in his immediate generation. For instance, in Sahih Bukhari 1059, it reads, The sun eclipsed and the Prophet got up, being afraid that it might be the hour. That this is saying that at the time of his life, he thought that the hour was upon them when they saw the eclipse. In another narration, this is from Sahih Muslim 2538, uh, it says that the Prophet made this claim, and you'll see numerous narrations of this, that the hour will occur within the next hundred years. So let's say this is the year 632, 100 years. By 732, this, these hadith claim that the hour was going to happen, that the end of the world was coming. It reads, the Prophet said, You asked me about the last hour, whereas its knowledge is with Allah. I, however, take an oath and say that none upon the earth, the created beings, would survive at the end of 100 years. Now, what's funny about this is that obviously the people who wrote the Hadith, these, these compilers like Muslim was 250 years after the death of the Prophet, he knew this wasn't true. So what do they do? They put in little captions, they say amongst the companions, insinuating that this was only meant that the companions were not going to live for the next hundred years. But it's very clear in the Arabic that this is not what was intended. Uh, we have another one. This is uh, uh, Sahih Muslim 2537. Uh, it says that Allah's Messenger led us in Isha prayer at the later part of the night. And when he had concluded it with salutations, he stood up and said, Have you seen this night of yours? At the end of 100 years after this, none would survive on the surface of the earth. And again, we see this commentary that's added that they say, Oh, no, no, this was only meant to be regarding those people who were listening to this message. But it doesn't say none of you all. It says none would survive on the surface of the earth. And if we read the previous uh, hadith, it says not a creature would survive, that it's not even limited to the companions. In another narration, again, Sahih Muslim 2953, it says, it's very clear that it says the youngest boy among the companions, that he would not live to be in old age before the hour is established. Meaning that before the end of the world comes to fruition, this child is not going to live to be in old age. Now, what people try to do is they try to cover these invisible mountains, right? Here we have reality. They have hadith that are claiming that the end of the world is imminent, that it's going to happen, that it's going to happen within, you know, the, the uh, lifespan of the next few generations, that within a hundred years, that the end of the world is surely going to pass according to the most sahih hadith. But we know for a fact this has not come to fruition. So how do you reconcile those invisible mountains? Now, it gets even worse. If you study the works of uh, Tabiri, in the history of Al-Tabiri, volume one, uh, it talks about Tabiri's calculation for the end of the world based on the most Sahih Hadith. So based on Tabiri's calculation, which he's uh, finding this on the Hadith that he cites, uh, he claims that the Prophet said that the earth was only 6,500 years old. So from the start of the earth, to when Prophet Muhammad uh, arrived, that only 6,500 years have passed. Now, obviously, this is not the case. The earth is close to 4 billion years old. The universe, the observable universe, is close to 14 billion years old. 
So this is clearly inaccurate, but it continues that the prophet said that within the next 500 years, the earth and the world is all going to come to an end and the hour is going to be established. So according to Tabiri, this was going to be around the year 1132. But we know for a fact the earth continued progressing. The end of the world as predicted in the Sahih Hadith failed to come to fruition. So now people have to struggle with this dissonance, right? How do they reconcile this? Again, they make this commentary. They say, oh no, this was only meant to be that those people weren't going to live more than 100 years. But then you have a child that the prophet is saying is not going to live to an old age before the hour is established. Then you have the works that come later, that of Tabiri. And he's saying that in essence, okay, okay, it didn't happen yet, but it's going to happen. And he calculates that again, around the year 1132, that the end of the world is going to happen. Right now we're in 2023. The end of the world did not happen. At what point are people going to assess that these maps that they have for their reality, the Hadith literature, should not be followed? That these are false maps. And this doesn't even include all the other falsehood that is inundated inside the Hadith corpus. This is something that you would think everyone would be in uniformity, in agreement that, okay, this hadith must be a fabrication because we know for a fact these events did not happen. And keep in mind, this is amongst the Sahih hadith, right? The most authentic hadith are making these claims. If the most Sahih hadith are so blatantly wrong in these regards, how much little trust should we have regarding all other matters of hadith? This example single-handedly demonstrates that Hadith is a terrible map of reality. It's full of invisible mountains that we see for ourselves do not exist. But rather than people saying, look, let's maybe abandon this, this faulty map, they double down. They find justifications. They try to find some sort of way to reconcile this. No different than the person in the cult who believed that the cult members were immortal. But this is just a very obvious example that you would think, again, everyone would uh, uniformly agree that, okay, the Hadith is wrong in this regard and reassess their whole concept of what it means to be Sahih Hadith. Maybe reassess what it is that should be the map that one should follow. But if you look across the spectrum on Hadith, it's not just this one-off thing, right? When you look at Hadith and science, Hadith and reason, Hadith and uh, logic, Hadith and morality, you see that these do not match the map of actual reality. For instance, if you study the Hadith corpus and you compare about what we know regarding science and reality, you'll find major disconnects. For instance, according to uh, numerous narrations, this one specifically, Sahih Muslim 315, we see that it says that pending on whoever has discharged first during sexual intercourse will determine the baby's gender. That if the man ejaculates first, or the woman, that from that is how you determine if the child is going to be a male or a female. And we know that this is fundamentally wrong. That it's not who, uh, in essence, discharges first that determines the baby's gender. Again, and you'll see the way that they try to reconcile uh, this, this uh, invisible mountain. They'll say, oh, no, no, that's not what it meant. It meant resemble the mother or the father. But the Hadith and the Arabic is very clear that that is not what's intended. That it's actually meant to be that this is going to dictate if the child is going to be male or female. We have another Hadith. This is Sahih Bukhari 3326. That it says that the human beings have been getting progressively shorter since the creation of Adam. 
And again, we can look at the fossil records, we can look at, you know, old corpses of human beings, and we see that this is not the case. Human beings are not getting progressively shorter. In another hadith, this is Sahih Bukhari, uh, 5687, it says that black human is the cure to every disease except death. And this does not take much research to discover that this is inaccurate. Black cumin does not cure cancer. It does not cure Alzheimer's. It does not cure Parkinson's disease. As far as I know, it doesn't cure any disease. But again, we have this supposed Sahi Hadith that claims that it does. What other invisible mountains are they in essence covering over to try to reconcile this clear distortion of what we see in reality? In Sahih Muslim 2955, it reads that every bone of the human being decays except for the tailbone, which again is inaccurate. We can go and look at the, uh, the, the uh, remains of bodies and see that no, the tailbone decays, that this is not the only piece that remains from a human being. And I can continue rattling off all these supposed Sahih authentic hadith that are supposedly came from the Prophet that go completely counter to what we know from common sense, from science, from reality. But I'll just read one more regarding the, the category of hadith and science. Uh, this is Sahih Bukhari 5445. It says, anyone who eats seven ajwa dates every morning will not be affected by poison or magic on the day he eats them. Now, this doesn't take much effort, right? If someone genuinely believes this, go eat seven ajwa dates in the morning and then go have some poison and see how does your body react to it. The fact that people don't do that, and honestly, I would advise heavily against doing that, is because deep down they know that these maps are faulty. They're, they are not a good depiction of reality. But for whatever reason, when it comes to the hereafter, they're putting their entire faith inside this faulty doctrine. And what do you think is going to be the end outcome? right? If this map can't help you in today's reality, how is it possibly going to help you in the hereafter? It shows that this map it should be abandoned, that this is a map full of invisible mountains. And if you look at, say, for instance, again, Hadith and morality, you see the, the, the disgusting acts that are being promoted in Hadith that anyone with two ounces of common sense, any decency, would be appalled by. You have the killing of apostates, you have the stoning of adulterers, you have the killing of captives, you have the promotion of marrying child slaves and having sexual relations with child slaves. You have the concept of temporary marriage, you have petty assassinations over hurtful words, you have senseless killings of dogs and lizards, and threatening to burn the houses of one who does not show up to Salat. It doesn't take again much thought to consider that when anyone reads this, they would be repulsed by such atrocities being promoted in the name of the prophet being attributed to him, that he was saying that this is what he was commissioned to do by God. And I just want to read one of these hadith, one of the most prominent Sahih hadith, to show just how immoral this corpus of hadith is. And this is from Sunan Abi Dawood, number 4717. He rates it as Sahih, but so does Albani. He also rates this as Sahih. And it says that the Prophet said, The woman who buries alive her newborn girl and the girl who is buried alive both will go to hell. Now this goes against all common sense. 
The child who's buried alive, what punishment did she have to be justified to going to hell? And this goes against the Quran, it goes against common decency, it goes against common morality. And this is the filth that is full inside the Hadith. And people are constantly trying to create justification for these invisible mountains. The Hadith does nothing but lead people astray from the truth. And the Quran informs us of the ultimate outcome of those who choose to follow other sources instead of the Quran alone. We have the testimony of the followers of the Prophet on the day of resurrection who don't take heed to this warning. It reads in Surah 25 verse 27 through 30, it says, The day will come when the transgressor will bite his hands in anguish and say, At last, I wish I had followed the path with the messenger. At last, woe to me, I wish I did not take that person as a friend. He has led me away from the reminder after it came to me. Indeed, the devil lets down his human victims. The messenger said, My Lord, my people have deserted this Quran. Notice, the person mentioned above, who is destined for hell, regrets not following the path of the messenger and abandoning the reminder when it was given to them. Then we see that the messenger's testimony against his people on the day of resurrection regarding such individuals regrets is that his people have deserted this Quran. Notice there's no mention of the Sunnah. There's no mention of Hadith. This shows that the preserved reminder the messenger was to deliver and the people are to uphold. And if they want to follow the path of the messenger, what they will do is uphold the Quran alone. In Surah 6, verse 112 through 116, it reads, We have permitted the enemies of every prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire in each other fancy words in order to deceive. This is literally what the Hadith corpus constitutes. It says, had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them, and thus expose their real convictions. And what are those real convictions? It's the fact they don't believe in God. They don't believe in God's messenger. They don't believe in God's book. And it continues in 6.1.14 says, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hearer, the omniscient. And it ends on this note. It says, If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture, they only guess. The majority of Muslims, if you tell them you want to worship God alone, they'll basically promote the shahadatin. They say, no, you have to mention Muhammad's name. If you tell the majority of Muslims you want to follow God's word alone and follow the Quran alone, they say, no, you must also follow the sunnah. So now we have a choice. Do we follow God's words the words that the messenger himself gave his life to deliver in the Quran alone? Or do we choose to follow these fabrications by men who were imperfect, who had no authority to create these narrations as a secondary source beside the Quran? One book is perfect. It has a perfect depiction of reality. The other book 
is full of invisible mountains, full of falsehood, full of contradictions, and only leads people astray and leads them towards immorality. Now, contrast the map of Hadith with the perfect map of the Quran. Not only is this map flawless, it contains no doubt in the connection between the map and reality. And not only does it not conflict with reality, but it details how this world operates and lifts the veil that blocks many people from being able to see the truth. It does this by giving us concrete examples of how to be able to be successful in this world and in the hereafter. So let's see how the Quran compares against science, morality, and even reason. Science is the mechanism we use to understand the physical world. While the Quran is not a science book, we see that not only is there no conflict between scientific understanding and the claims made in the Quran, but as our knowledge of science increases, so does our appreciation for the facts that are specified in the Quran. And as we saw previously, this was not the case with Hadith. The more someone understood in the realm of science, the more they realize the faultiness of the Hadith. Now, a good example in the Quran of how, as our scientific understanding increases, our appreciation of the Quran increases, is in Surah 21, verse 30. And it regarding the Big Bang, it says, Do the unbelievers not realize that the heaven and earth used to be one solid mass that we exploded into existence? And from water we made all living things, would they believe? So in this passage, it's not only talking about this concept of the Big Bang in the Quran, it's also saying that from water, all living things, and we know that water is a prerequisite for life. And it continues, 2131, it reads, And we placed on earth stabilizers, lest it spreads and tumbles with them. And we placed straight roads therein, that they may be guided. This concept of mountains serving as stabilizers is something that, again, until we had satellite technology, we were unaware of that we live on these plates that shift, and it's when these plates collide that mountains are formed, that it keeps the plates from spreading and it keeps the land from tumbling. In 2132 it says, And we rendered the sky a guarded ceiling, yet they are totally oblivious to all the portents therein. Right, This sky that's above us, it keeps the harmful gamma rays, x-rays, away from destroying life on earth. In addition, we have the magnetic field of the earth because of the iron core that is, again, protecting us from a lot of these harmful debris and rays that would bombard organic life here on earth. And in 2133, it says, And he is the one who created the night and the day and the sun and the moon, each floating in its own orbit. Now, what's funny is uh, this word for floating in the, uh, the, the, the Arabic, some people say, no, this is in reference to sailing because it's the same word. What's fascinating is this expression, kullun, each fi in falakan, uh, orbit, that this is a palindrome, meaning that in essence, it's as if these letters are orbiting around one another. And a palindrome, for those who aren't familiar, is a expression or word that is read the same forwards and backwards. So again, these are clues within the Quran, giving us understanding that as are we increase in scientific understanding, we become more appreciative of the text. And it doesn't end there. In Surah 51, verse 47, it describes the expansion of the universe, that God is saying that they will continue to expand it. In Surah 41, verse 11, it talks about how the Big Bang, this the start of the universe, started as a gaseous mass. 
In Surah 23, verse 14, we have the accurate embryology of a fetus. In uh, Surah 53, verse 45 and 46, it tells us that the, uh, the, uh, the semen is what determines the baby's gender. And again, this is at odds with what we read in the Hadith, where it says, whoever discharges first determines the baby's gender. In Surahs 10, 24, 39, 5, and 79, 30, it describes the shape of the earth as round and as an obloid spheroid. In Surah 6, verse 125, as we described in a previous episode, it shows that the proportion of oxygen diminishes as we climb towards the sky. So again, as our scientific understanding increases, so does our appreciation of these elements inside the Quran. And there's another aspect of the Quran that is very in tune with reality. Constantly in the Quran, God is encouraging people to use their logic, their reason, to go and search for the truth. By definition, someone who's a believer is someone who's in pursuit of truth, who wants to know reality for what it is. In the Quran, in Surah 29, verse 20, it says, Say, roam the earth and find out the origin of life. God is telling us to go towards these understandings, to go and research. And what you'll find is that all these paths lead back to God. It says, For God will thus initiate the creation the hereafter. God is omnipotent. In Surah 50, verse 6, it says, Have they not looked at the sky above them and how we constructed it and adorned it without a flaw? God is telling us, in essence, go and observe, go and study the creation, the, the structure of the heavens. And you'll come to back to the conclusion that this book is divinely inspired. And you see this, this line of reasoning in Surahs 88, verse 17 through 20. It says, Why do they not reflect on the camel and how they are created, and the sky and how it is raised, and the mountains and how they are constructed, and the earth and how it is built? So the Quran is constantly telling us, saying, Look, if you want to know this is the truth, go and study science. Go and study nature. Go and study God's creation. God is not shining people away from this, saying, don't do these things. No, just be dogmatic and ob uh, observe what's in this book. God is telling the people, go and research, and you'll find out that what is in reality corresponds with what's in this book. In Surahs 56, verse 58, and uh, 63, 68, and 71, we have these, this again, the same line of reasoning. It says, have you noted the semen that you produce? It says, have you noted the crops you reap? Have you noted the water you drink? Have you noted the fire you ignite? You know, in these signs, there are proofs for people that God is telling us, again, use your hearing, your eyesight, your brain, your reason, your logic, and to not resort to the status quo, not to follow your parents' religion blindly. In Surah 2, verse 170, it says, When they are told, follow what God has revealed here, and they say, we follow only what we found our parents doing. What if their parents are not understand and were not guided? It says, the example of such disbelievers is that of parrots who repeat what they hear of sounds and calls without understanding. Deaf, dumb, and blind, they cannot understand. God is constantly telling us to use these faculties that he's blessed us with to correspond our reality with the map that he's given us. And you'll see that there is no contradiction. There is no flaw. Unlike the Hadith, which is riddled with immorality, the Quran promotes what any sensible person would deem as moral and virtuous. Throughout the Quran, it advocates charity, honesty, integrity, patience, steadfastness, justice, kindness, forgiveness, and giving a voice to the weak. Not only is this rampant in the text, but it is the names that God uses to describe himself. 
most notably in the opening statement of the Quran where it reads, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. We have numerous examples in the Quran where God is saying what righteousness is, is doing acts of kindness and helping others and giving those who don't have a voice justice in this world. A good example of this is if you look, Surah 81, uh, starting from the beginning to verse 8, where it's talking about the events to the end of the world. It says, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, when the sun is rolled and the stars are crashed into each other and the mountains are wiped out and the reproduction is halted, the beasts are summoned, the oceans are set aflame, the souls are restored to their bodies. And out of all this, who's God called to account? Who is the individual that God is going to put up on the pedestal to, in essence, make sure that she has a fair say? It says the girl who is buried alive is asked, for what crime was she killed? Now contrast this with the Hadith we read just previously regarding the baby that is buried alive is condemned to hell. Where's the justice? God in the Quran is very clear that these individuals who don't have a voice, that they will be the ones who are given first priority in the hereafter. In Surah 107, we read, it says, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful. Do you know who really rejects the faith? So God is going to tell us, who are these individuals who reject the faith? That is the one who mistreats the orphans and does not advocate the feeding of the poor. And woe to those who observe the contact prayer salat who are totally heedless of their prayers. They only show off and they forbid charity. The whole premise of the contact prayer salat is the remembrance of God, His qualities, that we are God's servants here on earth to try to do godly things that please God. And if we forget that, we think that these invocations are merely what makes us righteous, that it's not the message that's being conveyed, then in essence, we're not following the map of God. We're following the map of Satan. And we have a choice in this world. God gave us the perfect map. He gave us the best guidance. And that guidance is in the Quran. But those who choose to follow some other faulty, inaccurate map that we see time and time again fails to be able to identify reality. Those people on the Day of Judgment will have no one to blame but themselves. They will bite their fingers in anguish and they will say, at last, I wish I had followed the path of the messenger. And that testimony is to show that they did not follow the Quran alone. They chose to follow false doctrines created by imperfect men that were never authorized by God. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact, please reach out to us on our Discord server. We have a thriving community, daily discussions, Quran studies, meditation sessions. It would be great to have like-minded individuals there. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please go to the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. If you want notes from today's discussion, you can go to the Quran Talk blog. And until next time, peace and God bless.